Well, now we're going ahead into John chapter 11. And uh, over the last few months here on Sunday mornings, we followed Jesus' public ministry. And during this time, how many know that Jesus has made some pretty incredible claims? Boy, he's got the, uh, the Jews, and Jews and the religious leaders. They're just like turning all over the place. They're, they're, they're upset at him. They don't know what to do with him. And uh, uh, the reality is, is that they just don't know how to deal with the claims he's making. So they figure they're going to do what they, 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 they'll do to make everything stay the same, and that's kill him, right? But one of those claims that he made back in John chapter 5, verse 26, was that he was the source of life. I mean, that's a pretty bold claim. And next week, when Pastor Joseph's preaching, you're going to see Jesus make a a similar claim, and he says that I am the resurrection and the life. And today, we see the story that plays out to actually demonstrate. You see, Jesus doesn't always just, just talk the talk, but he walks the walk. You know, that's what he kept saying to them. Well, last week we heard him say, listen, you don't believe the words I say, but believe the works of God that are accompanying me. And he's going to have one more here pretty soon. Um, and, and you guys know the story. If you've never read uh, the, the, the Gospel of John in, in chapter 11, close your ears because I'm going to spoil it for you. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And when he does that, he goes ahead. And actually, anybody that had your ears covered, I want you to go home right now and start reading your Bible. If you've not read this yet, that means you've got some more reading to do. Amen? But yeah, he's, he's going to demonstrate and prove true those claims that he is the resurrection and the life by resurrecting somebody and giving them life again. You see, the reality is, is that death was introduced after the fall. How many of you know that before Adam and Eve fell, there was not supposed to be any death. There wasn't supposed to be any sickness. There wasn't even, uh, we, the humans weren't even supposed to be aware of evil. That was never God's plan for us to have an understanding of evil. And then when Adam fell, all of those things were introduced in the world. And that's one of the great consequences that we endure because of the fall. And the reality is, is that for that to be ultimately taken care of, that's actually the last enemy that Jesus is going to put under his feet. But Jesus alone, of all the people that have walked the earth, Jesus alone has the ability to thwart death. He is the one that, that has authority over death. Even throughout history, as, as men of Christians have prayed for people and they've come back to life, it's always been because of Jesus' authority. And throughout the course of his ministry, Jesus has actually um, raised, raises a couple people from the dead. And uh, we see Jairus' daughter. You remember the ruler's daughter that was, was raised? You can read about uh, him and his daughter in Matthew 9, Mark 5, and Luke 8. But Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. He also raised the widow's son from the dead in Luke chapter 7. And we find out here he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus has authority over death. But the reality is, is that physical death, I mean, no, physical death is pretty bad. But it fails in comparison to spiritual death. You know, that's where the Jews got confused about Jesus. They expect him to come down and take care of physical things, but he came down and took care of spiritual things, which were much more important. Amen? But by raising Lazarus from the dead, by doing this physically, Jesus demonstrates that he has the ability to give physical life. 
And as a result of this miracle, that should give the evidence that we need to understand that not only can he restore physical life, but he can restore spiritual life as well. Amen. But uh, as you might have guessed, this actually doesn't help his reputation with the Jewish leaders, with the Pharisees. <laughs> and uh, they actually, I mean, we've seen it ramp up over time. They're, they're, they're looking to kill him, but this is where they, they actually lay the plot out. And uh, they, they really get serious about attempting to kill Jesus. So let's go ahead and get started. Here in uh, John chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, it says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. So this is the first time in the Gospel of John that we're introduced to Lazarus and Mary and Martha. This is also the same Mary and Martha that is mentioned in, in Luke. Luke chapter 10, 38, verses 42 is a story you probably all know. But now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha... Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. So this is the, the in the book of Luke is where, when we're introduced to, to uh, Mary and, and Martha, and, and we actually don't see mention of Lazarus at that time. Um, so however, though, even the, the sisters are, are, are mentioned in Luke, and the Gospel of John is the only gospel to include this story. So for whatever reason, Luke decided to not share the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead, even though he mentions the sisters. But this story is only mentioned in the gospel of Luke. And even though they're only introduced now, um, it's apparent that Jesus was actually friends of this family. And the, the story in Luke, that actually happened, I think, uh, would have been a couple chapters ago as far as John's timeline. Um, when, when he was at their house, you know, ministering to them and, and Mary and Martha were getting upset with each other, that was actually before this event. So Jesus was actually acquainted with them. He, he's, he's been to their house. These were, these were friends of his. He knew them very well. Another thing that's interested here is it says that it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. Do you guys remember that story? That's because you read ahead. That story doesn't actually happen yet until later. It's actually very strange that John includes it here. Um, why he mentions it before he actually records the event is, is, is unknown. You know, some, some people think maybe he expected uh, uh, people to be aware of this story already. Maybe this, this story was actually pretty common knowledge at the time. Or maybe it's because he expected his readers to have read this letter more than once. So that way when you're on your second time through, you go, oh, I remember that now. But it, it does demonstrate the relationship she had with Jesus and her great love for him. That's what he's pointing out here. He's like, this is the family, the one that, I mean, she loved Jesus so much that she poured out the expensive perfume in the alabaster jar and wiped his feet with her hair. And, and it just demonstrates the love that this family has for Jesus. We can also tell by Mary's request that Jesus, to Jesus that there was a relationship between him and Lazarus. I tell you what, 
I would like it be written down somewhere for all of history. Lord, he whom you love is ill. Actually, the truth is it is written down. It's written down in the same book that he loves me. And he loves you too. But yeah, this is the one that, that Lord, he whom you love. Jesus apparently knew this family well and he cared for them and he loved him. And I think what happens here when Mary and Martha go to, to, uh, to the Lord, I think it's a, a perfect example for the rest of us. It's how we should behave any time that we face any obstacle in our life, any time that we face any calamity or, or really if you're just having a bad day. You should run to the Lord. We should immediately go to Jesus. And it's obvious here that they, they trusted Jesus to take action because they knew that he loved their brother. He knew that she, they, they knew that, that he loved them, so they expected him to do something. That should be the same attitude each and every one of us take. We know that he loves us, so there should be an expectation when we go to him. Amen? But if you guys know the whole story, <laughs> we realize that this, uh, this whole story is a demonstration to us that God doesn't always do things the way that we like him to. He doesn't always do things in the timing that we expect. I don't know about you guys, but there have been plenty of times that I've laid out to God exactly how I would like it done. Anybody else ever done that? Has it ever worked for anybody? Because I haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> See, God is always faithful, and he always takes care of me, and he always looks out for my best interest, but he doesn't always do it the way that I expected him to do it. So in verse 4 it says, But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, if you're reading this story for the first time, this is pretty exciting. They go to Jesus and say, hey, our brother's ill. Can you do something about it? And Jesus says, hey, this illness does not lead to death. It's actually for the glory of God. This, this whole illness is going to bring glory to God, and it's going to glorify me as well. And you're like, man, Jesus is going to do something amazing. Jesus is going to heal him. Nothing bad's going to come of it. It's going to be incredible. But if you know the story, you ultimately know that Lazarus dies. And you're like, wait a minute. Imagine if you were in their shoes, you go into Jesus, think he's going to do something, and, and you had your plan of how it was going to look, and it doesn't happen that way. And in this case, Lazarus dies. And how many know that Jesus, this didn't catch Jesus by surprise. He knew what was going on. He knew that Lazarus was going to die. Matter of fact, it's more than likely that Lazarus is already dead by this time, or he will be within the next few hours. And I'll explain that in a little while, but it's likely at this point that he's already dead. And although Lazarus does die, Jesus raises him to life again. This illness is only temporarily leading to death. We also see that this miracle has a specific purpose. It's for the glory of God and the glory of Jesus. And while we know the rest of the story and how ultimately Lazarus is alive at the end, Jesus says, this does not lead to death. 
But the irony is, is this is one of the events that led to Jesus' death. So in some ways, it actually did. Now, as I was studying this, something else came to mind. I shared this with the men yesterday at the men's meeting. Um, but as I was studying it, and uh, just to make it clear, I'm not going to claim with certainty that that's, this is what this passage is teaching. This is just something that came to my mind as I was studying this and I was looking at what was going on. Before I start, though, I want to be clear that I believe healing was purchased through what Jesus did on the cross. I have several hours of teaching on that to talk about the scripture, why I believe this, uh, all of this. So so I'm not going to get into that now, but so you understand, I believe that Jesus died so that we would be made whole. But I sometimes think, especially for those of us that believe this, that we forget what the actual purpose of Jesus going to the cross was. I mean, you know, all that stuff is secondary. Like your wholeness, that's amazing, but that's secondary to what Jesus went to the cross for. He went to the cross so that you would have spiritual life. Because what good would perfect health for your entire life be if there was nothing after it? If Jesus didn't fix the eternal problem that we had. So when I hear Jesus say, this illness does not lead to death, it reminds me that no matter what we're facing, no matter what obstacle, no matter what um, calamity, no matter what sickness, no matter your relationship, no matter what it is, no matter how bad you feel like life is, it's not going to lead to death. You see, even if you or somebody you know physically dies because of illness, it still didn't lead to death. You see, the enemy thinks that he's got a great victory. You know, when, when the enemy kills Jesus, how many think, know that he thought he won? But it didn't lead to death. How many know that every time the enemy strikes somebody with cancer and it ultimately takes their life or some other horrific disease, he thinks he's won, but he hasn't because ultimately it doesn't lead to death. And like I said... I believe that Jesus died for us to be made whole. But I also think that we need to keep in perspective what he went to the cross for primarily. Our physical health is just secondary because like I said, it'd be worthless without spiritual life. Amen. So I think that it would be good for us to remember no matter what, no matter what happens, what we face, for those of us who are in Christ, it's never going to lead to death. Amen? Then verse 5 through 6, he goes on, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. As I mentioned earlier, the sisters, they trusted Jesus. They, they probably assumed that if they went and told him about their brother Lazarus, that Jesus would have took care of it immediately. I mean, they knew that, that Jesus loved them. They knew that Jesus loved their brother. They probably expected Jesus to you know, stop what he was doing and head home to Bethany to take care of what's going on. They likely understood that he didn't even have to go if he didn't want to. Jesus could say the word. So I wonder how 
they felt when Jesus says, don't worry, this doesn't lead to death. But then he, from their perspective, doesn't do anything. I mean, if you think about that, from their perspective, they said, Jesus, our brother's going to die. And Jesus says, I don't worry about it. And then he just keeps going on for another two days in the city. He doesn't, doesn't go back there. He doesn't, doesn't, you know, tell them that he's healed. Jesus even clarifies here. The Bible clarifies. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. I mean, there's no doubt that Jesus loved them. So what a strange way to respond. What a strange way to demonstrate his love to stay where he was instead of going and dealing with what was happening to Lazarus. Now, some say would say that Jesus was just waiting to make sure that Lazarus was, was you know, well and dead. But the reality is, like I said, that he was probably dead by the time the messengers arrived. And, and the reason is, is we're going to find out that uh, when Jesus shows up to Bethany, it's been four, Lazarus has already been dead four days. But we have two days here, probably, it's only a couple miles from where he's at now to Bethany, so maybe a day's worth of travel. So that's three days. So by the time the messengers got here to tell the sisters and then for them to tell Jesus, Lazarus is already dead. And this didn't take Jesus by surprise. Like he's not waiting just to, to make sure. So I don't think he was waiting for Lazarus to die. Personally, I think he was just making a point that what about, what's about to happen is God. You know, had he showed up right after Jesus died, people go, oh, he didn't really die. But when he's been in the tomb for four days, there's no doubt. And we're going to see an amazing miracle happen here pretty soon. But the reality is, is that no matter when, no matter why Jesus went when he went, it was God's timing. Jesus was waiting on God because God's timing was in this. This miracle had a purpose. Now, I'm not saying that Lazarus got sick because of God. I don't believe for a second God made Lazarus sick just so he could prove a point. The reality is, is that, that sometimes we live in a fallen world and this stuff happens. But God will use those things to demonstrate his glory. Amen. But it's a very interesting phrasing that I read here. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place. This so here indicates that him staying was because he loved Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. That seems like such a strange phrasing to me that, that he didn't heal them because of them. He actually stayed longer because he loved them. Ultimately, he let Lazarus die, or like I said, probably already dead, because he loved them. And I hope that when you see this, you know, we know the rest of the story. Jesus raised from the dead. He's going to be glorified. It ultimately leads to the Pharisees kicking up their, their attempt to kill him, and it ultimately leads to his death. But, him and, but the son is glorified. Jesus, uh, the, the father is glorified in this. Lazarus is raised from the dead. But I hope that you, you when you read this, it not happening the way that they expected it to happen was because he loved them. So the next time that you're praying for something and it's not happening the way that you expect it, the healing is not coming as fast as you expect it, the healing's not coming the way you expected it, that you didn't get the job like you expected to get it, you didn't get pregnant like you were hoping to get pregnant, all of those things 
that happen to us that, are, that, are, that we would consider awful and we would expect God to take care of, remember that sometimes God's timing, different than our own, is because he loved us. God loved you, so you didn't get that job. Maybe when we ask God for a miracle and it doesn't happen immediately, it's not because he's not listening. Maybe when it doesn't happen the way that we want it to, it doesn't mean that God is ignoring us or not keeping his promise. Maybe it's because he loves us and that to express faith, sometimes we have to express patience at the same time. Amen? And the reality is, is it's in these trials that God is glorified and our faith is strengthened. If everything happened automatically, you would never have to have faith. There'd be no purpose for it. That's why there's no faith in heaven. You don't need faith in heaven. But sometimes you have to let your faith grow a little bit here. Amen. And verses 7 through 8, it says, Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? So remember last week, we ended up with, with him going across the Jordan because they were all trying to kill him again. It's been some time. I'm not sure how much time, but now Jesus is saying it's time to go back. Because after two days of waiting, God's timing had been realized. So Jesus was ready to return to Judea, return to, to Bethany to deal with Lazarus. And um, he was ready to return with his friends who were probably hurting. They're not quite understanding why Jesus is not helping their brother. But the reality is, is that God's timing is perfect. We may not always understand why God is moving in the way he is or the timeline that he is. But I want you to know that you can trust that he loves you. We can trust that he wants the best for us, and we can trust that his timing is perfect. So Jesus says, listen, it's time to go back. Now, their questioning is timing, just like we do sometimes. He says, listen, why would you want to go back? I mean, you know it's unsafe. After all, the Jews are seeking to kill you. That's why we came here in the first place, was to get away from them trying to kill you. And now you want to go back? Why would you want to go back to a bunch of people that are trying to kill you? And we can stay right here where the people love you and they want to hear you speak and they want to be involved in your life. Oh, and none of them want to kill you. Why would we not want to stay here? A place where people actually want you to be. Then Jesus answered, they're not 12 hours in the day. If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anybody walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So the disciples were concerned for Jesus' safety, but his response is kind of cryptic. But basically, he's trying to let them know that it's not too dangerous for him to go. In one sense, if they went by day, this would offer some level of protection, right? It's not likely that he's going to get jumped in the middle of broad daylight on his way there, especially if he's got a group of disciples with him. And if it's daylight, you can actually see people coming. But if they wait till night, then there's a risk of stumbling. This is also an indication of timing as well. 
If they go now when the time is right, when it's light of day, then, then things are going to work out. But if they wait too long, there's a possibility of things not working out the way they were supposed to work out. It's also likely a reference to their spiritual position. When we walk in the light, we're under the protection of God. We're, we are, are, are in His presence and under His protection, and He's there with us. But if we walk in darkness, then all manner of things that aren't God have access to us. And I also wonder if Jesus isn't making a point about people that go in the night have something to hide. Jesus wasn't trying to hide anymore. It was time to go in the day when the time was right with nothing to hide to walk where all could see. And the reality is, is that shortly after this event, Jesus would be making his way to Jerusalem for his triumphal entry. And then ultimately, just a few short days later, to his crucifixion. So then he continues on to his disciples and he says, After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And this is in verse 11. You see, Jesus wasn't just going back for the fun of it. There was a purpose. He was on a divine mission to awaken Lazarus. And you will remember that, that, that he was going to be glorified, not only himself, but the Father was going to be glorified in this event. This was going to be one of the major miracles that Jesus does that demonstrates that he is who he says that he is. He's going to prove that he's the resurrection and the life because he's going to resurrect somebody and give them life again. So Jesus heading to Bethany to raise Lazarus was all part of, of God's plan for Jesus. And, and ultimately, this is one step on the plan of salvation for all of us. And in verse 12, the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Does anybody notice a theme when Jesus is talking that nobody understands what he's saying? Over and over. You see, the, the rest of the group are like, man, the, the, the Jews and the, and the Pharisees, they just keep misunderstanding Jesus. But they're not the only ones. His disciples misunderstood him from time to time as well. Hallelujah. Give me one second here. Because half of my notes are missing now. And if they're not there, that means the last three verses, I'm just going to have to go off memory. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let's see what happens. Oh, praise God, they're there now. I could do it off memory. But, but usually there's, there's some good points that I would forget. <laughs> So as it turns out, the, uh, this, this, the, the, the Jews weren't the only ones to, to misunderstand Jesus. So Jesus is talking about one thing, and the disciples think that he's talking about something else. Jesus says, hey, he's fallen asleep. And they're like, oh, don't worry, he'll wake up. He'll be okay. You see, they were confused why Jesus would want to go all the way to Bethany just to wake Lazarus up. They figured that one, he was either doing well enough from his sickness that he could just go to sleep and it wasn't a big deal. Or, it, it, I mean, why, if he's going to wake up, if he's, he's asleep, why do we need to go at all? Because remember, them going back this way puts themselves and Jesus in danger. 
right? So, so think about this. It's like, oh, we're just going to go wake him up. He's sleeping. Can you imagine being the disciples? Like, really, you want us to risk our life and to risk your life just to go wake somebody up? He'll wake up on his own. He's going to be fine. And now we know that Jesus is referring to Lazarus being dead, but at this time the disciples were clueless for about four more seconds. And then in verse 14, Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Jesus tells them plainly, listen guys, I'm not saying he's asleep, I'm saying he's dead. Jesus already knew what he was going to do when he got there. He already knew what the plan was. This didn't catch him by surprise. So he lets him know that Lazarus is already dead. And then he says, listen, you know what? It's good that I wasn't there when he had gotten sick. Because the reality is, is if he was there, they would have expected Jesus to take care of it. They would have expected Jesus just to heal him. And, and if that were to happen, there would be this entire teaching moment and demonstration of who God was that would be missing. And Jesus says, you know what? I am glad that I was not there for your sake because when we get there, you're going to see something that is going to change your life. It's going to really uh, demonstrate who I am to you. It's going to demonstrate that the grave has no bar over me. The grave means nothing to me. That we're just going to, I'm going to raise Jesus for the dead. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And how many of you know that it's good news that death and the grave isn't a barrier to Jesus? Jesus has authority over death. You see, and it talks about, I'm glad for my sake that I wasn't there so that you may believe. And, and when we read this, we're thinking that, that this was just in the moment that they were going to believe that, that Jesus had authority over the death that was going to demonstrate who he was. But I wonder if they weren't supposed to remember this in a couple weeks when Jesus dies. Because what if they remembered, wait a minute, Jesus is dead, but the grave has no power over him. Death has no authority over Jesus. We shouldn't be worried at all. Turns out they, they didn't remember because they all scatter until Jesus actually is resurrected. But the reality is, is the grave can't hold Jesus whether referring to somebody else or referring to himself, he is victorious over the grave. And then we'll finish up here in verse 16. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now you guys all know Thomas. He's often referred to as Doubting Thomas. He's the one that says, I won't believe until I, I see the, the holes in his hands and I put my hand in the wound in his side. You know, Doubting Thomas. But it's interesting, here he's kind of stepping up. This seems like a strange phrase for him to say. Like The first time I ever read this, I'm like, what is the indication that they were supposed to go and die with Lazarus? Like, it, it seems like some weird culty thing, <laughs> right? Like, oh, I guess we're just all going to lay down next to Lazarus and die. But the reality is, if, if you think about what just happened, you understand what the disciples are talking about. They're getting ready to go back towards Jerusalem into Judea. They go into Bethany, which is in the area that's just a little ways from Jerusalem where everybody wants to kill them. They're not saying we're going to go and, and drink some funky fruit punch and lay down next to Lazarus. They expected that they were going into this town and they were going to be killed by the Jewish leaders, by the Pharisees. That was their expectation. 
And when you think this is a weird phrase, they're being they're not. They're actually demonstrating. The disciples are demonstrating their loyalty and willingness to follow Jesus. They really assumed that when they got there, that they were going to die. That's a pretty amazing thing. It's too bad they didn't hold on to that when he did die. And I guess I can't say much. There are many people that have had their faith rocked for much less things. The reality is, is that Thomas expressing this was a demonstration that him and the disciples were willing to pay the cost to follow Jesus wherever he wanted to go. They didn't fully understand what was going to happen. They didn't realize that that Jesus was going to raise him from the dead at this point, I don't think. Really, they just thought that they were all going to, to face their death with Jesus, but they were willing to. They figured that serving and following Jesus was worth any cost. And church, I would argue today that that's still the case. There are things that we're going to face, struggles that we're going to have, opposition that we're going to come up against. And we're going to have to deal with understanding God's timing, why are things happening the way they are. And I think we should just be encouraged that God loves us, He cares for us, and that we should trust Him. And the reality is, is that no matter what cost we have to pay, it's worth it. Amen.